Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Hi, right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 312 with Kimberly Braun. How are you, Kimberly? I am fantastic, and even better that I'm here with you, Dale. Oh, isn't that a lovely way to start? Now, before we get into your journey and the work you're doing, and basically today, I really want to talk about uh, how people can live a life of greater freedom and peace. And um, I know that uh, I've come to the right person to talk about that. But before we do that, over the last seven days, Kimberly, what's lit you up? What's brought you a lot of joy? Ah, uh, well, the big thing that's brought me joy is I was just in the recording studio recording the audio book for my print book that's coming out. And we did it in 50% of of the time. We were just like in a groove and in the flow and lost in the process. And it was so joyful being with them and and having a team around what I consider my messages and my services in the world. So that really lit me up. That's uh, lovely. And uh, this this episode isn't going to be about me. I uh, When I went to do my audio book, Kimberly, I had to record a sample chapter and I had a meeting with, uh, they were American producers and they go, ah, Dale, you've got a very unique voice. And I didn't get the job to read my book. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. So anyway, Grant Cartwright read mine, Kimberly. <laughs> so you have a lovely voice, so and I'm sure people are looking forward to listening to that and your audio book when it comes out. So do you want to give yourself a bit of an introduction and paint the picture for the listeners? Sure. Well, thank you to everyone that's listening. And I'm I'm a fellow adventurer on this path of life. I, Similar to all of you who are listening, I long to live a life where I feel purposeful and I feel energized by life. And I come from a place of joy and peace that are not, can't be disturbed by the things that happen in life. And I hope to embody love in life. So I'm like every other human being with all of my desires. And when I was very little, I began to have experiences that pulled back the veils on what I would call reality was for me. And when the veils were pulled back, it was like time stopped. And I was given a sense of understanding of what real happiness is about, of where we find enduring wisdom, of where we find meaning for our lives. And from that place, I've been exploring what that means. And you would think that having those early childhood experiences would mean it's all been, you know, like (laughs) like, I had nothing else to figure out. Uh, But it actually allowed me, it allows me, that worldview allows me to get really intimate with life, to enter into the contrast that this life has, the dark and the light and the challenges and the joys, and to help me draw close to them so that the real meaning of the events in our lives can reveal themselves to me. And so it it did position me to be a curious uh, person in life and be willing to open my heart when I might have wanted to close it. Uh, But then it leads me to deeper understanding. So since then, it's been all about that. I lived in a monastery for close to 11 years 
And then after living a monastic life for the past 23 years, I have been traveling, serving others, helping them live lives of greater freedom and peace, as you well put. And I have a wide range of tools from doing it for so long. I'm, I've got formal training, but my biggest training is my experience and my walking the talk, if you will. You can't, you can't teach that either. That's something that uh, comes with knowledge and learning and actually doing it. Um, we can do as many courses as we want, but uh, real life experiences, Kimberly, are something that nobody can teach you. Now, I want to dive more into that, but um, one, I was really fascinated by what you said about the awakening when you were, when you were young, um, because there's so many adults, people of all ages that have never had that awakening and um, are still sort of searching for that. How old were you like when you had that realization? Like, because that's not normal. Like you're very fortunate in a way or did, was that something that, you know, your parents or your upbringing allowed? Do you want to describe that a little bit more? Because I find that really fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so it happened when I was five or the series of experiences started and I remember them consciously from five my mom says she remembers things about me from when I was two and I do remember some experiences when I was four but the big ones were when I was five and did I have a setup I do believe I lived in a family where my mom and dad were very loving uh they weren't as curious as I was. So it wasn't like they were introducing me to things or encouraging things, but just simply the sense that they were open and innocent. They were very, very young parents. I mean, very young. My mom was 18 when she had me, uh, but I lived in Ohio and I loved, I loved walking home from school. And it was at a time when there wasn't any worry about walking home from school. And when the autumn would come, it would just catch me up. It felt to me that autumn set all the earth into a dance. The leaves were dancing, the wind was dancing. And as a young child, I began dancing with the nature that I was in. And as I was doing that, I was becoming more and more caught in bliss. I would say the word ecstasy, but I don't know it's a word I would use when I was five, but I was really <laughs> caught in that way. I was just caught up in it. And at a certain point, I stopped at the end of our cul-de-sac and I was just taking this moment of like, ah, oh, kind of like, a, isn't this wonderful moment? And as I stood there, there was a tree across the street that had all different colored leaves on it and the wind was blowing through it. And for some reason, it was like the tree grabbed me. It was kind of like, look at me, kind of like pulled all my attention. And as I looked over at the tree, I was taken with its beauty, but then there was one leaf that caught my whole attention. And as I was watching that one leaf, Dale, the leaf was kind of going like this back and forth on its stem. And then it broke off and it began spiraling down towards the ground and unsolicited from me, really deep within this existential angst came up. It's nonverbal. So I'm giving words to it. This angst came up. Is that all life is about dying? Like that was, I was just, that was surging up within me. There was this deep sadness, but the moment that that sorrow came up, it was like time stopped and I was plunged into this experience that the leaf was in the eternal and the eternal was in the leaf. But I was experiencing that 
it was me and the eternal and the eternal was in me. And that all my life was just about one thing. And that was to, in in modern words, to self-realize, right? To awaken into my fullness. Back when I was little, we grew up Catholic and I, I, my language would have been all my life was being and becoming in God. And it formed a worldview, Dale, that has never changed. I always have, that's like, that's like my glasses that I look at the world with. And even in some of my darker moments, it's always been from within this direct experience that I am held and that all that's happening within my life inside and outside is a mysterious opportunity for awakening even more. So wow. that's, that's one a, example. That's, <laughs> I'm just sitting here as a five-year-old. I, I don't even think I knew where I was. I was probably picking my nose and trying not to wet myself, Kimberly. And here you are talking about being so self-aware. And the big thing that really come up there that, you were not distracted. You were present. And that's, I think, uh, and I'm sure you see this with all the work you do and everything like that, that um, the ability to be present in any situation for a lot of people is really tough. I, I know I've struggled with that for a long time, but to have that awareness as a five-year-old, like you were so far ahead of the game. Did you did you always feel like that? Did you feel like with the other, you know, kids at school, um, did you feel different because, like, I I personally wouldn't have had near those. It's taken me years to be able to understand things like you've just mentioned. And you weren't, you weren't even like double figures yet. I would say that my experience was, I thought everyone was having these experiences. Mm -hmm. so I didn't even try to talk about it. And what happened for me, and I'm reflecting back now, is I saw the innocence in everyone. I saw it in my parents, I saw it in my siblings, I saw it in my classmates, I saw it in my teachers, because I was so affected by these experiences I was having, that everything felt alive and illuminated by this innocence. So I think for me, I didn't separate myself from others. I probably did the opposite. I probably felt more empathically close, because I could touch in the essence of who they were. And that's Kind of what colored my experience of them you know I was they say you create your reality I was creating a reality that I was seeing that and then when inevitable things happen I mean as human beings we all make mistakes right we we betray we we hurt we you know even when we don't want to I would say in the face of those um was my deep learning of what what is that what's happening because if I was experiencing only the light when I'm experiencing these things that make you contract or feel hurtful, what's happening there. And I think that's where my real learning is and was. Mm. So, yeah. It's, uh, it, it makes sense. I, I think uh, the one thing I love about that is, you know, allowing yourself like you were innocent, like, and we are, you know, when we're at primary school, elementary school, where it doesn't matter where you're in the world, you are innocent and the world hasn't sort of got to you yet. If you've had, you know, a lovely upbringing, you know, with caring parents and things like that. And um, I relate a lot of this back to, you know, when we're young, we play, we have fun, we don't worry about what others think. And, and I think that comes with being innocent. Were you always like that? Or did that sort of, because I know with the research work I do, the older we get, the less we play, do you know, because we sort of, 
we get busy and we don't want to look silly. We don't want to look like we're not following the norm. And I think that sort of comes with that innocence as well, that it slowly, you know, gets not bashed out of us, but it gets taken away from us because all these other external factors that are going on. So was there a time when that innocence went away from you or have you sort of always saw the best in everybody and different things like that? It's a really great question and I'm going to answer it. And I, I also have a tremendous amount of understanding and compassion for the fact that as human beings, we oftentimes forget those qualities of ourselves. Mm. We, we forget them. Um, my belief and I guess this comes in with my experience is that we never lose them, but we we sometimes need to make choices that we can rediscover ourselves. Uh, I would say, you know, it's interesting question, Dale. I would say for the most part, I didn't forget, but there have been crushing moments. I went through a real dark night in my late teens where I had doubt about everything. And I would say I got very serious and very heavy at that time. Outwardly, you wouldn't have known it because I'm outgoing. And so I was kind of like the, eh, yeah, the big smile, <laughs> like, you know, like, but it was all a mask because yeah. behind that, I was troubled. I, I didn't, know, you know, like many teens, I, I was uncertain about a lot of things about myself. So I went through normal developmental things, but within it, I could never get away from this presence honest to goodness. I, it was like being, I use the words beloved. It was like being pursued by the beloved. It's like, not going to let me go, not going to let me lose sight. So I always came through things and then even had a, a, a more robust innocence. But, but I would say that when um, not life getting distracted, but when crushing things happen, you know, when we go through a really big loss or something like that, then I would say I, I get a bit more serious but i don't think that i lose complete touch with the sense of presence it's it's just like if you were you know going through a big challenge like let's say you got exiled somewhere and you were you know you may be really present but your presence would be more solemn mm. and rather than being light um victor frankl is a great example right in the concentration camp he came to a, he writes this great book and he comes to this place of immense presence in a concentration camp. But I would imagine his presence was toned with a certain solemnity to it and not like a, a, a real lightness. <laughs> 100% it would be if you've seen, uh, I've been to all those concentration camps and um, oh, those books are incredible. The journeys um, that they share about that. And it's funny that certain situations bring out different things like again that awareness and that presence and like I think what you a lot of you've been saying there Kimberly is that we all know that this inner child or the innocence or what it is it's in there but it's, that self-awareness is something that I don't know do we allow ourselves enough space for that to you know to think about it because I feel that this life of badge of honor of being busy takes away that aspect that we allow our time to think about that and it, it just sort of leaves us I agree. And I would say like we lay up all these misconceptions. So in my work, I help people recover that. And most of the time I'm finding that we're working with misconceptions, uh, things like it's really hard to become awakened into who we are, return to that innocence, or 
um, it's not possible for me, or it's going to be really scary. I won't know how to deal with what I find in my unconscious or like, there's a whole host of ideas around it that lead us to put it off or to not follow the nigglings or to make choices that fill ourselves with distractions. And as an adult, we can live a completely distracted life. But I, I am a big believer that so, always along the way, there's going to be something that's going to be kind of like knocking on the door, you know, like, hello, you know, it can be more joyful. It can, it can. And um, even when we just tap into just a small thing, like you asked me, like what, what juiced me up, you know, on this last week, I know you didn't say that. That's a good way, bet, good way of putting it though. I might, I might steal that one, Kimberly. I, I lit up, totally juiced up. I, I like that. Thank you. It's always good to get more in the repertoire. So thank you. <laughs> <little toolbox. laughs> uh, I would imagine that most every human being could come up with one thing. Maybe it was getting a delicious coffee and just breathing for just a moment with a coffee they loved. No, I mean, I'm sure we can all come up with one thing and where that happens, there is the entry point for that to happen more consistently. So rather than separating it out saying, oh, I had that one moment with that cup of coffee and now I've got 23 hours and 55 minutes that are very stressful. And we can think that that was unique and unattainable but it, it's actually, to me, an example of what's possible to live the rest of our lives with. So it's a little challenging. Like we get to change our perspectives. And a lot of times I find human beings and myself included in my path, we have to try it out a little bit. You know, we have to like say, okay, I'm not sure I believe that, but let me just try it because if it is true, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. And I think it comes back to like, you know, for example, juiced you up with that coffee, like, and taking the time to be present with that coffee, not, not doing emails or talking to someone, reading the paper, eating, walking at the same time, but just sitting and, and being present. I don't know if it's mindful eating or, or whatever it is. I know when you allow yourself to do that, you actually enjoy your coffee more and you're more productive in other areas. Um, I think about my morning, this morning, I'm eating, I'm trying to make kids food. I'm thinking about emails. I've got a podcast. I'm nowhere and I'm nowhere to anyone. Um, it sounds very easy to, you know, sit and smell the coffee and think about it, but we just, we don't. Like, I, I know, I know all this. I know I should be doing it, Kimberly, but I don't. Like, is this something you see a lot? Am I like the, like just a general person that's all over the shop? Because I feel it. <laughs> it is. I, it is. I, I think that that's true. And there's the misconception that, it, it's too hard. I'm, I'm in a groove. I've got all these things I need to take uh, care of first. Uh, you know, there's so many ways that our neural pathways become conditioned. But if you study habit, I, I have a great course and workshop I do that's the neuroscience of habit. Because when you take a look at developed habits and, and part of that can be just our mindset about how we go about our lives, it's much easier to cultivate replacement habits, habits that are life-giving than what we think. You know, there's, there's certain amounts of repetition and it starts to set in place. What I know when I'm actually on the practical level, when I'm working with people, 
I usually start out with, I, I call to, I curate everything I do very individually. So if I work with an individual or a group, there are things that I know that are universal, but I really allow what I do to be very specific for the person to hear where they're really at. And there are ways you can introduce things for just two minutes a day, two minutes, or even 30 seconds that creates a pause. And then the human primal brain and mammal brain, because this frontal cortex, we're like, yes, yes, we need to do this. Yes. You know, we're kind of on board, but the other, the other brains that kick in to override that, they start to relax because they start to experience that it's safe. And when they experience it safe, then it starts to grow of its own accord. Um, I, I have done this many times and I know many human beings want to bite off way more than what we can chew. Like you read a great book and it's like <laughs> five steps to manifesting your dreams. And you're like, oh, I'm all in, you know, and you get your notebook and you, you said the first day you said it's like a whole four hours and you're reading it and you're taking notes and you're done. Oh, I'm going to do this and this and this, but we, we tend to throw ourselves so much into it thinking that somehow we're changing by the reading and the plan only to find like what the day after or three days after it's like <laughs> I don't like that I was gonna do oh man you know I that I knew I was changed but I guess I'm not yeah it's um we it's all, like a it's like a new year's resolution Kimberly you know like we start out like wow oh, yeah particularly one of the big ones is yeah go to the gym or we're gonna exercise or eat healthier by February you're not doing it because Everybody goes so hard. Do you know what I mean? I love what you just mentioned there before about, you know, 30 seconds to two minutes to introduce it. And it might only be once or twice a day. It doesn't have to be four hours straight out of the get-go. Like you've got to, like, unfortunately, when we're motivated, we're on, but then it gets too hard because we make it too hard for ourselves. Yeah, it's so true. And I have to admit, there's a little bit of our egos come in because we want the big change. Right? I mean, we're made for big. We're, we're human beings that are made to live a very dynamic life. So I think that's really true. We're made for this magnanimous way of living. But we tend to put false pressures and false senses of ourselves into the process that place demands upon us immediately. And what happens? I don't know if this happens to you. It happens to a lot of people I work with. The moment you place all those demands and you fail, you immediately click into self-judgment. There's no space even for like um, the simple, wow, I gosh, I bit off more than what I could chew. Well, what would be more manageable? It's more like, well, you blew it. That's it. Yeah. Or a loser, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it, I think it, it, we're our own worst enemies, a lot of us in a way, that we're set, we set these unrealistic expectations that we're not going to be able to achieve, but then the self-talk and the way we reflect on it to ourselves is horrible. You know, you wouldn't say that if you bit off too much and you chew, Kimberly, I would not, I would not get up and berate you and say, yeah, that's, you're an idiot. You didn't do that well. But unfortunately, as human beings, the first person that we'll do that to is the person we see in the mirror ourselves. Yeah. It's so well put. You put that so well. It's true. And part of the presencing process begins to heal the ways that we do that. Yeah. You know, I think when, when, when individuals, and if you're listening now and you've been wanting to really open yourself even more, we grow in so many ways, the becoming more present taps us into resources 
where we naturally have more compassion for ourselves. We, without guilt, without blame, without shame, we naturally can provide the um, stability so that we can live that higher quality life. Like there's all these effects that happen and, and we've got science that's backing it up. I'm so grateful that science has directed its attention uh, to these studies so that our, our minds that want to be convinced first can have a little bit more evidence for it. Mm. And a lot of people do need that evidence and it's great. Um, I think one of the big things I see a lot of people, you know, and I do a lot of work around this around kindness. And one of the big misconceptions with kindness is Kimberly, that it's, you can't be kind to somebody else unless you're kind to yourself and everything you've been speaking about today, you know, that self-care, that self-love, self-compassion, they normally come second. Um, but to be authentically kind or serve someone else, if you don't look after yourself first, then you can't really do that. Um, is Do you think that's changing or like, I, I wish, I hope that's changing, but I, I don't know. I still see a lot of people the way they neglect themselves. Um, it's really hard to be kind to others, isn't it? Yes. I, I don't know if it's changing. I've never been one that can look at world trends in you know how human beings are doing and not doing because on one hand i see us repeating the same cycles of violence to ourselves and and others to the the other mm. and then on on other levels i see new initiatives happening where people are making a commitment to that kind of kindness and they're they're putting that first so i i feel like in a way we're evolving with that but I don't know if it's so much a global evolving, you know, depression has risen, anxiety has risen. Um, so I, I don't know if it's it's collectively reached any kind of mass, mass change, but I do find larger pockets of people who are making the choice. Like it's self-care to choose friends that are good for you. You know, we used to be told, you know, you, 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 you stay with friends no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm seeing more and more people saying yes to friendships that are reciprocal and, and nurturing and, and not so codependent or caught in tribal mentalities. So, so in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no, sorry to give yeah. you a paradoxical answer. No, no. <laughs> no I, I like that because um, I think it's something people need to hear. And I guess what it really comes back to is change can be made, but no one's going to do that for you. Do you know what I mean? If you're in a toxic relationship, if you've got people in your life that you know aren't serving you, that aren't uplifting you or don't have your best interest, but you still keep them around, that's on you. And essentially it's the same with kindness or love or whatever it is. Um, yeah. No one's going to do any of this for you. Do you find um, that that's some of the hardest things to get across to people in the work you do and the people you see that uh <laughs> People want change, but they're not willing to do the work themselves sometimes. No, not, no. not in my travels and work. Well, that's I good. That's really good, like, Kimberly. Sorry to cut you off. Like that's great. That's really good to hear. It's probably because the people that are drawn to me are those that have reached a point where they understand the value. Mm. Maybe earlier on, 20 years ago, when I began in this work. Uh, but I still do think there's a lot of fear. You know, we get we get shut down by fear. And I do still think there's a lot of that going on. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, 
it's the fear of judgment, fear of failure. Like there's so many things, but when you can overcome that, it's an amazing feeling and the satisfaction you get from it. But um, actually starting and doing something, it's easy to talk about it, I find. Um, But nothing happens when you talk. Action speaks louder than words. Yes. Yeah. Well put. Well oh. put. <laughs> <laughs> this is very good. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm juiced up. Uh, I've got a couple of more quotes. Um, now, you, as we, as we spoke about before, you do online courses, retreats, writing books. You've got a new book out. Do you want to explain a little bit about some of the resources and your new book? Uh, I'm sure people have been listening along going, wow, I can relate to so much that you're talking about. Um, what can we expect in not only a lovely uh, spoken audio book that will be really soothing on the ears, uh, but what else can we get from it? <laughs> Thank you so much for asking. You know, first, I want to say I am so blessed to get to do what I do. I get to meet people in what is the most intimate, vulnerable, and yet fully potential part of themselves, you know, on the level of the soul, on the level of heart. And I am so blessed. So I'm grateful even to be able to be saying on this podcast that everything I do is so much at the service of the people that I work with, that they can grow in that freedom and that love and whatever qualities they might might be heightened for them. Sometimes we're really feeling like we need peace more than we need joy or, or something like that. And over the years, I've, I've cultivated a lot of ways to be of service. I offer a lot online. I have three awesome courses online and I can do those with the person signing up or they can just do them themselves. I do a lot of private sessions in person and online as well, which are everything from spiritual and intuitive guidance to meditation coaching, uh, all the way to Reiki training or healing, distance healing or in-person healing. And I have an online community where people gather from all over the world to explore their wisdom. I'm a big believer, and you pointed to this in some things that you were saying, is that it's all within us. And we're not in a culture that still really encourages us to speak our truth and find our wisdom. We're still a bit in a guru culture where, oh, wow, I want to follow them, or I want to do that with them, or I want to hear them speak. And and that's beautiful. I love listening to inspirational talks and, and sitting at the feet of others. I love that. But ultimately, when we have the opportunity to really explore what our wisdom is without any judgment and discover what our truth is and find that our truth changes and something that worked for us at one time in our life may not work anymore. And it's okay to let that go. There's a whole reason. So my online community, we open up in that way. Everyone gets to explore their wisdom. And I lead meditation immersions online. I lead mystic immersions online. The book that's coming out is a third book and uh, it's called Miracles in the Naked Light. And it takes four years of my life from when I'm 29, I'm 56 now, when I'm 29 years old up to when I'm 30, 33, just turned 34. And it, I was, I was a monastic Carmelite nun at the time. And I heard build the permanent monastery. And when I heard it, my whole body and my mind and my heart, I said, yes, but I didn't know what I was saying yes to. I thought I was saying yes to it happening for our community. I didn't realize 
that spirits call to me was going to be that I would build it, that I was going to be the general contractor, one of the main fundraisers, one of the um, architects. And I had no experience. And as a monastics, we had very little money. So that, that book plays out that story so that it gives examples of how there's really grace in everything, everything what seems good, what seems bad, what seems right, what seems wrong. That book really breaks that open. So my hope is people will love the story, but that they'll also be inspired to realize they can do things much greater than that, than build an, a 17,000 square foot mission style monastery with no experience. <laughs> well, awesome. Kimberly, I'm just seeing all your courses and books and your stories. How many hats do you wear? Jim, you must have the I know, biggest right? hat rack I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You are awesome. I guess it's all about the same thing, but it's in different form. So, but it is true. It is true. I have, I love to manifest. So, well, I think that's, I, I love that because uh, you're only restricted by what you think you can achieve and what uh, the expectations you put on yourself. And like you just said, some of the things you've just created are incredible um, when you allow that to occur. I really, I think that's, you've got to allow that space um, for any of that creativity or curiosity, as you mentioned earlier, when you allow that to happen, you can take on new things. But when you don't allow and be seated and present with your thoughts, that'll never happen. And I feel one of the biggest things I worry about, I love creativity, um, but I feel it slipping down the wayside because we don't allow ourselves to be creative because we don't allow our mind to stop. Is that something that you see as well? Yeah. yeah. And think about it. Most human beings have to plan in their free time. Well, I'm going to take this free time and plan it in the schedule. And that's a start. That's a start. So that's, I'm not naysaying that, but it's an example that our lives have, have in many ways are moving away from the spontaneity, right? But we can trust spontaneity because spontaneity can seem a little scary. I don't know how you think about it because think about if you let yourself daydream and you got spontaneous, it might seem like oh my gosh, you're not going to be productive. You're not going to be responsible. You're not going to get things done. But once we enter into the this larger part of ourselves, we discover that we actually are organized by nature, that, that there's, a, there's a, a containment and a structure in which the spontaneity is happening. But you know where I, I am a little sad is that I see at least in America uh, that children are being deprived of that free spontaneous time. You know, I was, when I was on pastoral staff at a church, there were lots of families. These little second graders would be given schedules, like little calendar planner books at the beginning of their school year to help them learn what it means to be responsible with your time. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if there was just a different way to do that? Because they've just taken off the table that, talking with your friend and asking your mom or dad, can they come over for ice cream or can we go play Foursquare? Like it just takes that out of the equation that their minds can work that way. When we were kids, we would go outside and we had no plan. We would get together on the cul-de-sac and we'd figure it out. Like, what do we want to play? Do we want to play hide and seek? Do we want to play Red Rover? Do we want to play Foursquare? And we figured it out. And a lot of that, that way of neural pathway forming I feel for children is sometimes being um, set to the side in lieu of being 
productive and skilled and on task. Yeah, so true. And everything you've just mentioned, you know, that creative freedom to play and allowing that space because when you play, that's how we learn to communicate. We build resilience. We learn how to win. We learn how to lose. We use our creativity. All these skill sets that we need in life. Unfortunately, though, if you've got a schedule planned and I and schooling is great, don't get me wrong, but one thing I'm an ex-teacher is when people leave school, there's no bells in the real world, Kimberly. So it's not structured and that structure can cause issues because not everything's planned for you. You need to do things yourself. You, particularly if you're working for yourself or different things like this. And what do you do? You get lost because you've been told what to do your whole life. It's been, and if it's starting in second grade, then if you've been that way ingrained the whole time, you've literally lost any creativity because it's all been planned for you. You haven't had to think. Wow. Yeah. That's a really, really great point. Ah, ah. Ah, well, that's why we're having this podcast is so we can shake it up. Yes, see, that's what we, I love. I I feel very fortunate that I get to, um, as I said, I'm a very, my head goes a million miles an hour. But one thing I've found, Kimberly, is that podcasting for me allows me to be present because if I'm not present, I can't do a podcast. So, you know, it, it's a different way of doing it, but that's sort of one way I've found to shut off my mind. Um, and it's really, everybody's different, isn't it? You know, there's not one blueprint that fits everybody. We all have different needs and ambitions and things like that. And it's just about finding that that allows you to stop and be present whoever, wherever you are and whoever you're with. Yes, yes. And, you know, I love that word present. It, you know, for me, it simplifies it a bit, right? Because we all have a general idea of what it means, the word. And it's generally the same for all of us. We, we were pointing towards something quite similar. And at any moment, even when we are lost down the darkest, worrisome hole with our minds, one thought could be, well, I could just be present. And everything lightens up, you know, the, the, the struggles may not go away immediately, or the solution might not immediately come. I mean, Einstein said when he was trying to solve a problem, what would he do? He'd sit in his chair through the night and bounce a ball. And he'd just sit there bouncing the ball until the answer came to him. Or at least that was one of the ways that he worked with some of his thought problems. Now, that is such a great witness to us. And we can all relate to, to Einstein because he's, he's, he's not a spiritual leader. You know, he's somebody in the world uh, being a researcher. So, But it's a great example. Like, what would it be like if we had a major problem and instead of tackling it, we sat in a chair and bounced a ball mm-hmm. and really just bounced the ball? That's like... That's very masterful to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's, it is. It is. It's as simple as even if you've got a problem, just going for a walk with no distractions. I, I think I find that the best now, not taking, you know, uh, my phone or ear pods or listening to, even though podcasting is great. And I recommend people keep listening to them, Kimberly, um, particularly this one, but just going and being with nothing like, because that's when solutions come, don't they? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now, Kimberly, uh, where can we find you? Where's the best place? Because as you mentioned before, you, your third book's about to come out. You've got multiple courses. Um, and, and I love online communities that uh, because some people may not have those people in their life, you know, and, and they may feel a little bit distant, like what we've been speaking about before. You can still 
keep the tribe or the friendships you have, but you can gravitate to, particularly now with how amazing the internet is, um, you don't need to be physically in a room with people. And it sounds like your community does that. It accepts everybody and they're like-minded individuals that help each other grow. So where can we find you and all those amazing things you've spoken about? Thank you. So I have two websites. The first website, KimberlyBraun.com. So it's my name. So if you're listening to the podcast, I know it'll be in the description. KimberlyBraun.com. Everything is there. You will see everything. You can join my newsletter. I send out like one nice article and a few other things a month. So you won't get bombarded. Uh, I won't put you on a sequence to start out. And uh, so we can begin a relationship. But you can either through that website or go to the independent website, take a look at essencetribe.com. And that's my online community. And I just started it. We're just, we're, we're small, but we are growing and it is a way to find like-hearted seekers and develop friendships that you never imagined. It was interesting because a few of the people on Essence Tribe, we worked all last 2022. We did an acceleration for the year together. I just took on a, a small amount of people. I took on just eight people to do a really intense deep dive. Well, it ended with a retreat they hadn't met each other. Oh. So here they had worked together on Zoom the whole year. And then we met on a retreat down in Mexico together. And everybody was already a best friend. It was awesome. It was so awesome. Isn't, isn't that great? <laughs> I, I absolutely love that, that you can form these connections and the internet, Zoom, like it allows you to get to know these people. But then you can never replace that human interaction face-to-face. -face. Like that would have been incredible. Uh, yeah, oh. I know. I agree. I love the in-person. My hope is now that the lockdown is over. I used to travel and speak a lot. And now I'm re-envisioning what can that look like? Because the world has actually really changed. Mm. And my my field in which I work has changed a lot. Conferences don't exist anymore. And many things have changed. So I'm re-envisioning that. So if you're listening and you get on my newsletter, you'll know if I'm in your area because I, I will start to travel again to areas and and be brought in to, to do talks or workshops or immersions and things like that. Beautiful. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much. For listeners out there, this is episode number 312. I'll have links for both websites so you can reach out to Kimberly. But more importantly, join the community and start getting curious and find your tribe. And it might mean that you end up in Mexico meeting people face to face. Uh, so Kimberly, thank you so much. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed talking with you today. It's uh, one of the, the joys I get um, getting juiced up, I suppose, when I get to chat to like-minded individuals. So thanks so much for being on the show. It's been awesome being with you, Dale. Thank you for sharing all your own insights.